Welcome to Rookie Pirate Radio, the anime and manga podcast for InBetweenDrafts.com. I'm your host, Travis Hymas, and today I'm joined by our fearless editor-in-chief of InBetween Drafts, Allison Johnson. Hello, again. And, uh, and Ali, I do say that uh, fearless because you keep coming on to a podcast that talks mostly about One Piece. Yeah, um, as he's become a part of our lore, my husband did watch the most recent episodes of One Piece, even though we have watched 15 total from season one. So it is always around. But it's okay. Yeah, we won't we won't be getting too much into One Piece, uh, admittedly, this week. Uh, but that's okay uh, because we have something very exciting. Uh, we have a guest. We have Kate Sanchez, the editor in chief of ButWhyThough.net, um, here to talk with us today about something that is in my blind spot. Uh, so I'm very excited. Uh, welcome, Kate. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, very excited about this topic, and I love any time somebody asks me to talk about it. You and I, this is our first time talking uh, directly, but Ali connected us up because you have quite the experience with the Boys Love genre. Uh, you write about it quite a bit on your site. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think. And I think when we look at like Boys Love as a genre, we have to unpack like all of the things that go into that. Um, so I started very, very explicitly in yaoi which is like the smutty versions of the mlm love stories and then from then i went into kind of the more <sighs> there are a lot of nuances i'm trying to figure out the best way to say it like yaoi is the term that a lot of people don't like because it's what everybody thinks boys love or bl just bl is is that it's always um hentai adjacent and it's not um there's a whole breadth of types of romances from the extremely wholesome that is more akin to like a shoujo high school romance where like they maybe hold hands at the very end um to something like a jose novel which is more so adults living through life and trying to figure out what relationships and love and intimacy is and then you have like the more explicit stuff and that entire gambit like any romance genre just kind of exists and i love to just really explore all of the queer stories that are in there because at the end of the day it, they are queer stories um and they're queer romances and the cooler thing is now because so many people are reading it not just from a manga perspective out of japan but from a manhwa perspective with a lot of the, the webtoons and physical versions that are coming out from korea there is also proliferation of different types of genre tropes and usages from like fantasy sci-fi and horror that are coming in um crime dramas uh, Yakuza stories. It's a lot. <laughs> I, I'm glad you led with that too, because uh, as I said, this is a this is a huge blind spot for me. Uh, I, I will confess to being uh, a, a cis het, so you know, not exactly uh, the most exciting person in the world. Um, and I just have not had an opportunity to really engage with those stories. Um, now you've covered this genre quite a bit over the years. Have you seen it? You've mentioned that there's a lot coming in from different sources. Have you seen that proliferate a lot in the States as well, specifically like um, seeing an uptick of publications and translations, or is this still kind of um, fan translated in, in underground? Oh, no, there's a giant. So this is the one thing that I, that I, I, I love when somebody asks something like this, because BL, even in Japan, it's not something that's underground at all. Like there are, shops dedicated to it that you can walk around in uh, Akihabara like 
there are entire fan conventions, which are just for Fujoshis, which is what people, uh, what women who like BL call themselves, as well as Fudanshis, which is what men who like BL call themselves. And so like, it is something that is actually very pervasive and very out there. Um, and I think what we've seen happen in the U.S. is when translation rights get picked up, it is because there is a want for it. So I don't know if you all know, but you can go to Viz, Yen, Denpa, Seven Seas, any of the manga publishers' websites, and you can submit a request for a language, for something to be translated, for them to pick up a, a license. And so essentially the way the manga industry works, if it's not something that's coming out of something that's already owned, like really Shonen Jump or Shoujo Beat before that was sunsetted, you could, like, audiences drive manga translations in a very specific and direct way. So a lot of what has come out is being done in order to feed what is happening. Um, there is a very specific manga publisher called Sublime, um, where the B and the L are capitalized. And that's actually an imprint of Viz Media, where they only publish adult BL novels. And there's some really cool ones where there's like werewolves and like Yakuza stories and like, so to answer your question, I think there has been an uptick in getting the rights for official translations in physical form. There has been already a large digital community. So like Renta, uh, Renta, Leshin, Tapas, um, Fudakia, like there was already a digital translation space where there were official licenses coming out where you could buy whole volumes online. But now what's happening is these manga companies have realized that there is a thirst for it in the physical form as well. And this is translated to getting more Korean web stories also physically made. Uh, Tokyo Pop and Yen Press are the two that are doing it the most. Um, so it's weird because like I wouldn't say that like it's ever not it's never not been mainstream in a way. It's just always been something that was harder to get official licenses for. But in like the last four years, four or five years, I would say it's been everywhere. The space that is harder is when it comes to anime because there is a lot more censorship involved in anime production than there is in the manga space. So that is the one space where like we're getting quote unquote more um, with something like Sasaki and Miyano. And then you have some of the offshoots like Link Click or um, Skate the Infinity, which were meant to be BL stories, but they weren't explicit. You can see the same thing with like Yuri on Ice. Well, that one's, yeah. That's as explicit as you could get with Japanese censors uh, for Yuri on Ice. And then you have stuff like Promare. So all of that is to say the queerness is everywhere. Um, it's just whether or not a company has leaned into making it explicit. And anime is the one place that struggles. I was going to actually ask about that because I jotted down some notes because, again, I'm not totally well-versed in the manga side of things, but I do try to seek out queer stories in anime. And, you know, I have things like Skate written down, even though it's not explicit, but come on, or like yeah. Run With the Wind. Um, yes. But in terms of mainstream, I think my, not so much my question, but what I'm curious about is it's less so, you know, has it become more mainstream, but more so has the kind of acceptability changed? You know, is it less, you know, written for women and more written for the queer spaces? Um, like, because again, I feel like I know so much about it only from watching a show like Sasaki yeah. Tumiano. Yeah. And I, I think that like there is, 
there's a valid concern of fetishization that happens when because there are a lot of straight women who write BL and consume BL, but like it's just like any other romance genre. You don't have to be the person that that's about to read it. Um, and you don't have to be the person that's about to create it. And the reason I say that very specifically is BL has been a space for a lot of people to explore their sexualities, explore their romance, um, their, their romantic inclinations to explore what they like, what they want to do in a safer space than you traditionally see. Because the thing is, in the way that BL is mostly written by women... Yuri, which is girls love, like GL, is mostly written by men. And almost all hentai is written by men, with the exception of a couple pieces. So BL has really been the only space for women to write stories and romance stories. Now, there is a specific uh, genre within BL called bara, and that is written by gay men for gay men. Um, and there are some differences in aesthetic style, focuses, and explicit, like, how explicit pieces get. And a lot of times Bada is more explicit, focused more heavily on really, really muscled guys. Um, but all of that is relative. So to answer your question, it's this really weird piece where I think the assumption is that BL is just straight women kind of co-opting gay culture, but they don't, a lot of people, when that's what they're thinking, they don't understand that BL is actually there's an encouragement for everybody to read these queer love stories and find themselves in them. And for a lot of people, if you go to the um, the BL subreddit, it is actually a lot of people who are able to find their own sexualities from within BL, whether that was realizing that they're actually lesbian, that they're bi, that they're poly, like, and their sexualities and like, relationship preferences that they've explored the same way people may have done when they found like a really cool romance novel back in the day. So I don't know if that really answers your question. <laughs> um, but that is something that has been more focused. And I think from what I've understood from queer people in this space, I'm being a reader myself is just that more queer stories is always a good thing. And with the BL genre, with a BL type, and I, I feel weird even calling it a genre. I think it's more of a medium. Um, like, it is just men love men's stories. Like, that's it. That's the the crux. And then there's genres within that. Um, you can do so much and explore so much. And I think from what at least my understanding is that when it comes to straight people reading it or women reading it, it is just more so there just needs to be more queer stories, period. And this is a starting point and a tipping point to what you see, which what what can help anime and manga um, and webtoons really push forward in those spaces, predominantly because we, we need to remember, like, we're Americans. <laughs> you know, we're not living in these countries. We're not having to deal with any sort of the oppressions in those countries and in both Korea and Japan that are traditionally more conservative societies. BL, MLM stories, like, that has been a way for all kinds of queer folks to really explore themselves and become something more understood and it's really weird to look at it as a jumping off point, but it's something that's been embraced in the live action form as well. Um, so there are a lot of live action dra uh, dramas, and then it's even being picked up by uh, performance artists as well. And so 
Yeah, sorry. That I kind of tangented off. That's no. a really hard question to answer. <laughs> but like I also wanted to contextualize it. Like if you are straight and you read BL, dope. Like you're reading a queer story and it's a good story. And I I, I try to lean away from some of the the answers that that question often gets, like if you ask it online and stuff like that, like I think that there is a large section of particularly Gen Z right now on things like TikTok and Reels where like (laughs) they don't understand that like a lot of us didn't have access to queer stories growing up, but they're very focused on the purity of it all. And so if there is a BL that is explicit, they get angry and say it's fetishization. If there is a BL being read by a a straight woman, they say that that's fetishization without actually understanding what those terms mean and the actions that make those like applicable. Um, Yeah. No, totally. I I asked in a very open-ended way too, as somebody who, you know, I identify as and I've kind of read all the queer romances over the years, but manga has been, I don't know, it always, it always kind of overwhelmed me as a where to find my starting point, which is why I really loved yeah. your lists and I loved following you on Instagram and stuff because I would see all these recommendations and you'd break it down. And I think my question about, you know, is it still seen as something that's written primarily for straight women? It also just makes me curious, is that just another way for people to demonize things that women are interested in. <laughs> yeah, know? no, I, it's I really think interesting. You're right. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're completely right. Like that's right on the head like that's nail on the head right there. Um I mean it's something that's been done a lot of. I mean, it's funny, one of my really good friends, um I'll probably send send him this podcast so you can listen to it when it comes out. Hi Matthew. Um we talk about BL all of the time. Um like I like we are up to date on like current webtoons and we share them back and forth and like there is a clear distinction to talk about like, okay, like this is a perception and sometimes that perception can be harmful. Or, um, I think one of, one of the big ones is like the, um, the way that women tend to feminize gay men in an unhealthy way. And I think that those are valid concerns and should be talked about. Um, I've just become very, how do I say it? Because of the state of social media talking, it's very hard to talk about those things in a nuanced way because a lot of times people just want to throw it out because it's women reading it. I mean, like for me, like I I don't necessarily identify as bi. I don't know what I am. I just know I'm I'm a squiggly line, not a straight one. (laughs) I'm somewhere in there. Feel that. Yeah, (laughs) and 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 BL has been a really great way to explore that and read it. And I read a lot of Yuri and I just read stories about love. Like that's really just what I like doing. (laughs) Just reading stories about love, whether they're wholesome or smutty, I will read them. Oh, I'm completely there with you. And every once in a while, I'll try to read a quote unquote serious book. (laughs) But then I just go back to my romances to the point where you know, now if I'm reading something, my friend goes, oh, are you reading your smut? I'm like, come on, give me, yes. give me some slack. There's more to it the than answer that is too. Yes, but I have other ones. <laughs> There's a good story. I promise. There's more going on to it. Um, but yeah, no. So I've just been curious about your thoughts because it does seem like it's an ever changing issue. And again, so much of my knowledge of it is from, again, like Sasaki Tamiano, where one of the main characters is embarrassed to be caught reading it. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to see how things have changed. Um, even just over the last couple of years, being able to talk about it in a more public forum of something that people enjoy 
engaging in. It does seem like it's taken a massive shift, but um, even you talking about how particularly Gen Z tends to talk about things in kind of virtue signal, it it is interesting to see how quickly something like this genre or this medium will be dismissed without ever having the context of the history of it. Um, Not to go too deep into the side stuff, but it's just listening to, I was like taking notes. I was like, this is really interesting. I should know more about this. Um, but yeah, I, I have, do you, do you think that people just find it easier to watch also some of the like live action shows versus the manga? And I say this as a guilty party because you said that they're getting pretty popular. And recently I was going to order, um, my love mix up. Cause I saw that one pop up a lot. Yeah. And then I saw it was on Vicky and I was like, well, maybe I'll just watch it. And I steamrolled yeah. right through it. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I th- like I love that there's they're being treated like any other manga, like any other webtoon. Um, Semantic Error is another one. I think my only issue with specifically the ca- the the dramas that come out of Korea and even from Japan is there is a lot of censorship in them because it's no longer on the page. Um, so you'll get more explicit. And when I say explicit, I don't necessarily mean like sexual, but you'll have more explicit intimacy you'll see a kiss you'll see a handhold you'll see a hug you'll see discussions about sex um and not even just showing the act but just talking about it and and like showing that it happens or like alluding to it happening um that's something that i think is hard when it comes to the anime or live action spaces because of the censorship boards and like what goes into showing something and then finding actors who are it is a very hard thing to say, but there aren't a lot of out queer actors or idols in either country. And so it is very hard as you see these begin to push forward to find the balances of things. Um, And so I always recommend people to read the manga because I think the manga will always have something just a little bit more. But I think that the live actions are really good. Like, uh, was it Cherry? Was it Cherry Kiss? I think it's Cherry Kiss. But, like, there are just good ones out there. And I think you should take in the content in any way that you want to because the stories are really, really good. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, there's some that are on my radar, like our dining or our dining table. Oh, it's so good. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's such a good manga. Yes. And I can't wait for the live action. <laughs> I know. I was trying to find it and I, I realized it wasn't available, but I'm ordering that one soon because I saw like the mixed media response of it or, mm-hmm. you know, my sister and I were, or we're going to be checking out another new K-drama one, I think soon that's again been on the lists, but I definitely do want to watch or read the manga because even re- or watching something like My Love Mix-Up, there's just like so many head pats, you know? And I'm like, come on, I yes. understand that it's a high school story, but how, yes. <laughs> the intimacy is definitely much different in how you'd see a show between yeah. a, a heterosexual couple. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking right now, I pulled them out, but I've gotten a lot of manga recommendations from your articles. Like I have Monotone Blue that I've been meeting to read oh, for ages. So um Travis, I don't know if you want to like segue into <laughs> some recommendations, but I definitely, I don't know if the two lions was one of your recommendations, but I yes, own one now too. Um, 
yeah, it's just fun to dive into, but I don't know, is there like a starting point to you or is it all about like what genres you're interested in within? I think it's, I think it's what genres you're interested in, in manga proper. And then I can usually like give recommendations from that. I think that there are a lot of wholesome ones that if you just like high school romances or slice of life, like you mentioned two lions, there's also my summer of you, um, I Cannot Reach You from Yen Press and Saki Miyano, both from Yen Press, My Love Mix-Up. Like, there are really wholesome, like, Shonen Eye. So Shonen Eye is, like, shoujo, essentially. So Shonen Eye just means, it It literally means boys love, but you're looking at something that, like, the most intense it's going to get is a kiss right at the end of the series and, like, maybe some hand-holding. And then you have just, like, the from there out of Shonen Eye, then it kind of proliferates into the range of like older teen to like 18 plus. Um, but I always recommend people just go with like what looks familiar. And I'm not going to lie, base stuff on the covers. <laughs> like that's how I read. I'm like, oh, this couple looks cute. This setting looks cool. Um, it, it, it really just depends. And I have a hard time recommending stuff Mainly because I think we're in a space where, like, I've been reading romance in general as a genre for so long that, like, some of the more problematic tropes just don't bother me. So I literally read anything. Um, And so it's very hard to kind of understand what to recommend people because I don't know if there are certain things that they don't like. Um, But I think Classmates, if you're looking for a series that is more than a couple of volumes and is complete and is in the wholesome range, but also allows you to grow up with the characters. Classmates is going to be the best one for that. Cause you get to see them go from high school to marriage and it's, it's really, really cute and really adorable. Um, and then I think if you like vampires, you should read Fangs. There are only two volumes out from Tokyo pop, but the art is gorgeous, the fashion is gorgeous, and it's vampire soulmates. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I have Classmates as another one, which had been on my radar actually first because I knew there was a movie adaptation or like a yes. law or an OVA or something. Um, and just as somebody who's always trying to expand my animation knowledge, I had seen it forever and just never been able to find it. And then I kind of slowly realized, oh, it's based on something. <laughs> you dumb dumb. Um, and so I ordered the first one because, again, I've been just so eager to check it out because so many people recommend it just as a film as being one of the best stories. And I just, I've seen enough queer suffering. <laughs> so to find these wholesome ones is just so nice instead of going yeah. and watching something like Banana Fish, which I understand is yes. a classic, but I just don't know if I have it in me. I think <laughs> you know? I think restart restart after coming back home and restart after going hung- hungry. It's a it's one and a sequel. I think that one's really good because it's two adults who kind of realize like, oh crap, we both like each other. Oh, how do we do this? <laughs> what do we do in this small town? Like, and it, it's just, it's really cute. And I think that that's a pull for me with queer romance is specifically the navigation of, you get the will they, won't they, but you also get the, okay, how do I, like, how do I deal with the fact that these feelings may only be what I feel? And how do I find out if that's the truth? How do I extend myself and see where this will go? 
And then how do we deal with the people around us? And I think that that is something that I really appreciate and how it's handled. And it's not always handled like realistically, but I appreciate how it's handled and getting to see it because they're just complexities of being a human and dealing with things that I think translate really well in the queer stories and specifically in BL. Um, I think that actually... If you're questioning, if you're sitting there and you're like, well, I don't feel comfortable reading this because I'm a straight person and I don't think I should be reading queer stories. Or if you're like, oh, why is this here? If Fujoshis are crazy. I don't ever want to read it. I actually think everybody should read the, it's, it's, it's both a novel and then it got turned into a manga. It's called Until I Meet My Husband. Um, it is written by Ryosuke Nanasaki, but the art is by Yoshi Sukizuki. And the reason this is important is that Nanasaki is actually one of the foremost advocates for gay rights in Japan. He was one of the people who led toward same-sex marriage legalization. And the manga is is an illustrative collection of his essays about his life. And he actually partnered with a BL artist to do the art in the book. Um, And it has an entire forward where they talk about meeting each other and understanding why, why you would work together and how BL as a genre, even if it may be off-putting, can actually do some really good work within the gay community and towards helping people see gay men as deserving of love and as in seeing their romances in a different light. Um, so I, I, I think that that's a good one to lead with for people. Um, it's also just like really heartfelt and, and really good because it's a look into somebody's actual life. So, you know, speaking as a uh, speaking again is kind of the, the listener uh, in all of this. Um, I, have, I haven't been talking much because this is so fascinating. And, and like I said, this is a chance to kind of learn. Um, so that's a great uh, that's a great recommendation because coming from kind of the more mainstream, you know, you know, kind of getting into to manga and anime specifically um, in a pretty common way, honestly. Uh, a lot of these stories just com- go completely untold in in the yeah. spaces where I offify myself. So uh, this is this is excellent stuff to hear. Um, I, I wanted to ask, too, do, uh, because of that kind of, uh, you know, quote, unquote, mainstreamness and what that actually means – do you do you think there are still issues with uh, series like these breaking through and becoming a really big smash hit? We had Yuri on Ice um, a few years ago, and even that, like despite being extremely popular and well received by most people, had a had a significant backlash um, as well. Uh, I know the Crunchyroll Awards; it was kind of a sweep. And some people took issue with that. Do you, do you think that's still ongoing in these spaces today? Have we kind of evolved past that, hopefully? What well, can we do to do that? Unfortunately, <laughs> homophobia is always going to exist. Um, it, it's one of those hard things is I think anime in and of itself, and, and I, I think that there has been a general push from experts from Japan, like exporting Japanese content, um, specifically speaking about anime and manga, where having been in some conversations with some distributors and some rights holders, there is a focus on Japan to keep the image a certain way. And so a lot of Japanese companies see 
pushing their work out there as a risk in and of itself because you're pushing something that is Japanese to people who are not Japanese. And there was inherent racism that came to a lot of the belittling of and of Japanese animation um, still to this day. I mean, there's a reason that like the Oscars doesn't recognize it in the way that it should. There's a reason why I have to fight with everybody on the Hollywood Critics Association to watch, you know, Japanese animated films. And so that's one hurdle. And then you have the other hurdle from that where now not only is there that the element of racism is now that anime has become mainstream. And I don't want to say that's completely gone because it is still there. But you also have the other level of bigotry where like, right now is there is a very consistent and pervasive push against queer stories in general that it kind of like that is something that anime doesn't stand apart from it is something that is happening here it's happening in other cultures as well it's happening in japan it's happening in korea and i think that like ultimately that backlash is always going to be there The question is whether or not a company puts their all into championing a story and pushing it forward. And I think that that's really what the question is, um, because you're never going to get rid of it. The homophobes are always going to be there as much as I would like them not to be. But at the same time, um, you what we need are companies who aren't going to back down from telling those stories. Um, I think Trigger, as much as people give them crap, like Trigger has told multiple queer stories. Kill a Kill is a lesbian story. Pro Mare is a gay story. Um, Mappa has done um, Yuri on Ice, and if you believe the hype there, they they have a they they may be the ones between animating Yadichin Beach Bitch Club, but. Um, that's a, that is a conspiracy theory that I, I will hold on to. Um, but the thing is, is like, we just need, com- we need companies to actually back the stories. So I, I don't think that the backlash will ever not be there. It's always going to be, but that's what happens when you're telling a story about a marginalized community. Um, it's just whether or not there is investment put into telling those stories. And I can tell you right now, the money that is going into, buying from readers is so much that there are there are webtoons now um and and it's not manga but like there are webtoons now um that are coming out of korea and are instantaneously the moment they start publishing in a digital platform are getting picked up for physical publication wow because of the money that is there because of the number of subscribers. Like there are a lot of stuff that I have in my collection that I have had to fight to find because like it is just out of stock everywhere. And so I think that the appetite for it is there. It's whether or not companies are going to back it. Um, Because in in the anime space, we don't have that many. Like we have Sasaki and Miyano and that's pretty much it, at least last season. Um, And then you just have the the quoted characters who may or may not be, and then you kind of just run with it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? <laughs> no, that does. Uh, Cause again, I'm kind of looking at this from the perspective of somebody who's very late to this um, there, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about the, the, the perception of, of women in these spaces, um, reading and writing uh, boys love stories, but yeah, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, in the spaces where I've grown up, there's, it's a little bit more aggressive than even that, where it's, it's actually is seen as a, as a, as a thing for women. And, and therefore it's kind of perceived as illegitimate. And that's not 
really a good thing. And that's kind of what I want to there to be a takeaway to for at least our listeners. Cause again, I don't have demographics, but you know, we, we started mostly covering, you know, shonen manga recaps. So, uh, it's a safe assumption that a lot of people are in these similar spaces. So I, 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 I want to hope that people take away from this, um, a desire to want to support these initiatives too. It looks like there's just a growing hunger for it, which is exciting to hear. But I also, you know, like you said, we're Americans. We know what's going on right now. Um, we know that there's a lot of backlash and, uh, I think it would behoove us to, you know, people who, who fall into my category again, that, that kind of safe bubble, mm-hmm. um, uh, where we're not necessarily experiencing that same kind of marginalization to be aware of these things and support mm-hmm. them and learn from them. Yeah. And they do want to point out too, like if you're listening to this, you're like, Oh my God, this queer anime, this is new. Actually it's not like Sailor Moon has multiple trans characters. <laughs> uh, Revolutionary girl, Lutena is a lesbian love story. Um, it's been in anime and manga's DNA because shocker queer people exist and queer stories exist. And it's always been there. And I think to your point, I want people to just, embrace them as another like they are just telling stories like that is what it is at the end of the day one of the reasons i get so defensive about bl is because you shouldn't period purity test something that is telling that is putting out more queer stories and more content about queer characters because at the end of the day while there may be some like problematic elements to some of the representations you are still getting to read something about a relationship that isn't heteronormative and that like finding that piece of literature finding like and I don't even want to say like Sasaki Miyano because that's like wholesome but like what's uh, like finding Coyote so Coyote is a I think it's on volume four now it has a werewolf and the werewolf clans are hunted by the mafia and it it's really cool But, like, there are some questionable stuff that happens in this fantasy story. But the thing is, is regardless of some of that, like, if that is somebody's, like, oh, oh, like, this is my, oh, gosh, am I queer moment? Like, that's important. Like, being able to read something and and start to see it in a different way and feel comfortable questioning the things that you love and the people you love, like, that is why I I am always with, with... all of the criticisms that can come to it and all of the assumptions that come with BL. The reason I always support it and champion it is because that first story can be someone's window towards feeling better about themselves and embracing who they really are. And that's why we need them. Um, in the same way we need more, more Yuri too. It's also, I mean, maybe not worth noting for people who are really in it and understand like the intricacies of these stories. But like, if you are watching or reading, sorry, um, film guided these days. Um, but if you are like reading other manga or watching other anime and not finding some things questionable in like straight relationships, but finding the same things questionable in, you know, the BL category, I don't know. I've watched, there's plenty of anime out there where the romance is between a, heterosexual man and woman presenting and it's it's questionable at best how they do the fan (laughs) service so it's like if you find that if you it it like you know kind of evaluate self-evaluate what you're taking issue with and why you're taking issue with it and usually the results probably not going to make you feel very good but use it as a jumping point to kind of explore different genres and mediums um 
there are so many things that you just said that I like, <laughs> it just struck a chord things from arguing with HTA about watching, you know, animated films. I did it with my critics group and trying to force everybody to watch Inuo, but also, yes, thank you. Thank you. That was the one I was campaigning. Oh for. my God. It, it drove me absolutely made. nuts having to like, I was like, you guys are missing out on not just the best animated film, but one of the best films period also subtextually queer film too that is just amazing so also knowing that you know reevaluating things that you watch that like you said with sailor moon i never watched that growing up but like recognizing like oh that is telling a whole different subtextual story watching Mm -hmm. neon genesis now and understanding the story going on there um but i even have one that i'm trying to check out soon for a piece we're running in june uh, Princess Knight, which I guess is a genderqueer story from like decades ago. And sure, I'm. Uh huh. I, ass- I actually know that one. <laughs> <laughs> like, I assume it didn't age perfectly, but there is significance to it existing at all. So it's just, yeah, interesting is the wrong word, but it is kind of what I keep landing on that it's interesting how we digest things so poorly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think it's one of those things, too, is, like, gender bending is something that is so accepted in shoujo, right? Like, Oran High School Club, like, Oran High School, um, Tomo-chan as a girl. Like, gender bending as a concept and even the idea that these men who are falling in love with these women who are – with these girls who are just as boys, like, that is a queer story. <laughs> that in and of itself, and it, and it proliferates through shoujo in a way that I think that if most people stopped and looked at – these stories through a queer a queer lens you would see what has been staring you in the face um i will say too if you like i have not been reading this my entire life y'all like i i started reading bl at the start of the pandemic in 2020 because i watched given and it made me cry my eyes out because that is one of the (laughs) most beautiful stories about grief that i think i have ever read and i have ever seen and the reason that given, and I think that's a good one to recommend to people because there is a live action on Crunchyroll. The animation is on Crunchyroll. It got dubbed. There's an ongoing manga. Like that one is about one character figuring out who he is. The other character has had a boyfriend before, but he's recovering from grief and meeting each other in the middle and finding out the best way to talk to each other. Like, and that was when I started. And so like, I've only been reading like, BL for you know three years now I guess and a lot of it was because I had those assumptions coming into this that other people did I also just in general felt like I needed to push away pieces of anime that were more adult as well so when you have a conversation about like well you know the shonen eye is fine but anything that is deemed yaoi and 18 plus that's not because that's sexual and that's bad and we have to keep anime not that because people just assume you watch that it's like what's wrong with it there's nothing wrong with it and once i saw that i opened the door and i read a whole bunch of stuff but i i think that like if you are trying to get into it i think crunchyroll has a lot of good offerings i think given is one of them uh stranger by the shore is another um that is an ongoing series currently published by seven seas as well in manga oh cool i um, didn't know like that 45 minute movie Huh? Sorry, uh, Stranger by the Shore is one that I watched too, but I didn't know because, again, I'm so focused on like watching it. And yeah, no, they have five volumes out already. It's good. The story keeps going. Oh, nice. See, I'm adding that to my list. Uh, Given was one that I would have 
also recommended. Um, but they have like a very sporadic publishing yeah. schedule, right? <laughs> yeah. Unlike Shonen, anything that is not in going in a jump or a Shonen like monthly is just you never know when something's going to get published. But I, I also like cut you off really abruptly. So apologies. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I have no, I don't even have any idea what I was going to say. Um, no, I, I just, I think that if you're worried about catching up on it now or just opening it now because you haven't read it all your life, that's fine. That's fine. Like I came into like my hero at like season four. Like you can, you can pick up some BL. That's a good, uh, that's just a good lesson for any of this. There's a lot of uh, purists who will, uh, not like content purists, but like you can't skip a JoJo part purists. Mm -hmm. And that's just unreasonable. People come late to things all the time. That's how they become popular. Tell me about it. That is part. There's so much. Part of the bane of my existence right now is the fact that my husband, 30 years deep into One Piece, read all of it in two months (laughs) after only having read one manga before. So, <laughs> and, and and notably, all of that is my fault yes. specifically. <laughs> uh, but I did, you you mentioned too that um, topics of queerness and gender come up a lot. And since Ali opened the door, I'm gonna push it right open. The last podcast uh, that we uh, that we recorded with our normal co-host uh, John, um, we literally had to have like a 10 minute conversation at the end of that podcast about um, a character who you know is defines having she her pronouns but identifies as a man um in terms of certain presentations and actions mm-hmm. and it causes you know uh, you, for for listeners that's yamato i'm trying not to spoil too much for ali here because she still owes quinn mm-hmm. some episodes but um but you know uh, yamato is, is a character who identifies as she her but refers to herself as a man she bathes with the men she behaves you know Along those lines. And the One Piece community has had the biggest problem in the entire, like, I've ever seen with anything debated in this community with trying to parse that. And I think a part of that comes from having a background where you you can't bridge that gap. Um, you know, I, I just kind of sum it up as Yamato is our she, her king. It's very easy to grasp once you, you know. Read, read, read it that way, but uh, I think there's a there's a lot of heteronormative thinking that happens in these spaces, um, and I'm guilty of that in the past, and, and so I, I I love seeing this conversation happening uh, and being uh, being witness to it, because I think I think I've learned a lot just now sitting here these past forty so minutes, uh, just hearing about all these different series. Some of these I've never heard of before, which is uh, not surprising, but. A whole world. You want crime dramas. You want Yakuza, like, mafia, like, family battles. I got you. Like, it is, like, BL is as diverse as any other demographic, I guess is the best way to put, like, a shoujo shonen, jose seinen. Like, like, if you can write it, it's out there. Um, And I, I think that if we can be accepting of characters that are in one piece characters that are in any of our favorite, you know, shonen, we can be accepting of just romances in general and letting that take the focus. Um, I mean, we've seen it a lot. I, I think one of my favorite explorations of queerness in a non, like, like a non queer piece of media was actually blue period and having that trans character and having our lead go from being a bigoted. Can I cuss on here? I do accidentally. Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. 
I sure, was go say, ahead. Just, I was just going <laughs> to call him a bigoted little shit into somebody who, like, understood her and wanted to understand her and wanted to help her. And, like, and Blue Period is one of the most, like, one of the not superhero shonen hits from the, you know, from the demographic, from shonen. And I think that, like, if you if we can have large subplots with queer characters, then there's nothing stopping you from just, like, taking a chance on a vampire romance and then, like, also seeing some really cool action scenes when you read it. So. Just have to jump on that and say that we've been re-watching Blue Period in our house and we just bought a friend the first volume of the manga so i'm glad that other people really champion this series because it is such an under it's so good and again like the queer storyline is so understated but it's like a it's a key point still for like character growth and everything it's why also like i'll talk about this show all the time these days but like skip and loafer having representation through a trans character as well and being a decent portion of the story in some ways it's just important to see and that's why oh that was also that i think pa works has been doing a pretty decent job this year like i know buddy daddies wasn't explicitly queer but it was there was like elements of queer platonic relationships i don't know uh a lot to recommend and support um i guess my my last question is just is there anything right now ongoing or new that you're reading that like is like your most anticipated for each new volume or is your list so long (laughs) that it's kind of hard to hone in on one? That is a good question. (laughs) Oh dear. Yeah. It's really hard to hone on on one. Um, I will kind of go out of left field and say that it's not BL, but the, the, the book that I am the most excited for, because I think it lets people get an understanding of queerness and why somebody would also be into reading BL when they are not a gay man. It's called I Want to Be a Wall. Um, It's published by Yen Press and it is about two people who have come into a marriage of convenience and it's platonic. Um, The man is a gay man um, who can never be with the person that he loves because of society. And the woman is an asexual woman who is also Fujishi um, loves BL and she, they meet each other going on a blind date because of their family and they develop a really deep friendship and respect for each other that they decide to be each other's, a spouse in order to get past that societal hurdle that they have to do. And the entire story isn't about, okay, well now they have to fall in love or we're going to make them fall in love. The entire story is about them setting their own boundaries. He starts reading BL and learning about it. She starts like realizing, oh, maybe I shouldn't like ship him in real life with the guy that he loves. And it's, it's not a BL explicit story, but it is one that I think allows a reader to see the ways in which people can connect outside of romance and the ways in which the things that we can, that we consume can be a bridge for us and other people. Um, so yeah, I want to be a wall. The, very the swiftness in which I wrote that title down based on your description, that is like everything I want in a story. It's that kind of dynamic. It's so good. 
And it's funny because he's just like, he's very focused on being a good husband. But when he's defining good husband, he's never defining it as sex or love. He's defining being a good husband as being there when she needs him, of making her lunches, of picking her up, of buying her the next volume of her favorite BL. Um, and it's it's just really cute and, and really good. It, it's healing. And this one's out already or is it coming out? It's out already. There are two volumes. Um, there should be more coming. <laughs> that is going on my order list. Okay, get on the ground floor of that one now, and you could say you, you started something. Uh, that uh, I have a couple more questions. This is a little bit more admin, because uh, first off, uh, you've, you've given us a lot of recommendations. But what I want to ask is, what's the S-tier recommendation? What is Kate's number one favorite BL story? Oh, my God. Gosh. Okay. Um, I have it. I need everybody reading to understand that this is not a recommendation because there is some really harsh stuff in this and it's very hard to read through sometimes. But it's uh, called Twittering Birds Never Fly. It is still ongoing. I think there are eight volumes out right now. And it is about a Yakuza boss um, and a man who comes into his life that is significantly younger and is a security guard for him or a bodyguard for him um, to pay off debt. And they wind up having a sexual relationship and not really discussing anything with each other. But there is this like, there is this wall between them that makes them believe that they will never fully be together. But that's what lets it keep happening because there's not a buy-in. And then one of them kind of breaks and reveals that like that wall actually was a farce and he's just deeply in love with the other one and then they pull apart um and then you get a time jump and now they are both (laughs) their own bosses and they're having to navigate it and i think that this is one of my favorite bl stories because it, it is just a good yakuza story like it is just a good crime drama um but it is also a story about two men who I think widely, and I've talked about this a lot with one of my friends, and like we're kind of very certain that the men themselves are not gay, but there is something that happens within the organization of the Yakuza that like makes this relationship happen the way that it does. And it's just a really complex and nuanced story, and it's really sad. And it's it's a really melancholy story that really just explores the pressures and trauma that people go through and how even if you're connecting with somebody and you want to move forward, sometimes that's just not possible. And sometimes the romance actually kills the connection because you need that space. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really weird one and I always feel weird when people ask me cause it's not one that I would necessarily recommend cause there are like quite a few trigger mornings going into it, but I think that it is just a beautifully written story. Um, yeah, I think, I think that would be my favorite and then like something that is accessible after that would probably be given, which I had already, I've already mentioned. Yeah, I just love hearing people talk about the things that they love the most. Uh, I, you know, not necessarily as a recommendation, but just it, it, it's nice to talk about fu- you know the, the things that we love the most, uh, and not just criticism. So that's that's great. Uh, I have another. I have another. This is more of a. This is absolutely just admin. But um, over the course of several episodes of, of of our show now, John has asked me, 
what is my favorite anime of the season currently, and I have not been able to give a straight answer to that. So since I have not had the chance to talk about this with Ali either, I am throwing it out to both of you. Of the of the spring season of this year, do you have a favorite series? Hell's Paradise. That was so fast. I love that. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good, isn't it? it it's, yeah. So it's also easy too because it's one of my favorite manga that I've ever read. It is the uh, it is the favorite. It is the favorite manga of uh, who we have reviewing it for in between drafts. Uh, Kayla, she was actually on the show talking about it too. Um, and reading her reviews of it has been great. If you haven't, listeners, I highly recommend going and giving those a read through. But um, I have I have been just in awe of what it actually is about because I went in completely blind and I was like, oh, there's a lot going on here. This is excellent. Yeah, it's it's definitely addictive. Uh, we went to watch the new episode and we're disappointed <laughs> to see that there wasn't a new one this week. Um, but my, I do love Hell's Paradise, but my favorite, because I'm just a sucker for Slice of Life, is I really, really love Skip and Loper. But the only other one that's like battling for that position is Heavenly Delusion, which is maybe the only one I've watched this year where I've actually like yelled out loud while watching (laughs) due to some of the body horror and kind of really tricky science fiction elements of it all. So I don't, it's a very too opposing in terms of like genre and tone, but yeah, Skip and Loafer and Heavenly Delusion are the two where like everything else needs to wait. I need to watch the new ones. As Kate would know, as I've given many a uh, 10 out of 10s. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I don't blame you. It's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, see that. And that's and that's been my dilemma is how am I supposed to pick a, a best one? Like th- those two in particular, uh, especially thematically, they deal with a lot of similar things, uh, despite being entirely different genres and, and situations uh, and I love them both so much, and there's been there's been so many good things. Um, I haven't even watched Skip and Loafer yet, and Allie won't uh, won't get over that at all. Uh, it's uh, it's it's I don't even know how I'm going to find the time to watch everything this season, and we're coming up. Have on you summer. watched Oshinoko? Oh shit, yes. that one too. That one too. <laughs> yep, that one's way up there for me. <laughs> oh, it's so good. That one. That one, uh, that one's great. Um, I'm gonna remember that one forever because it's one of the few that have broken the the number one spot on my anime list, and that is always the number number one. It makes me want to go watch it because it must be good. Uh, but for two, I love seeing people scramble to get Full Metal Alchemist back on top. It is the funniest thing in this in the anime community. Period. Uh, oh, and, and that first episode, that's an episode. <laughs> It's so good. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy they did that. Like, I was worried they were going to stretch it out. I'm happy they just did a mega episode and we're like, we're going to do it now. Because they would have lost people. Uh, And I get, and I get why, I think. But watching the whole thing and getting the whole, like, emotional through line throughout all of it, it just, it adds a layer of, like, just an emotional gut punch that I think if they had broken it up, we would have lost two, even for the people who did stick around. But yeah, I, oh, I'm addicted to that one. I can't believe, I keep forgetting that one. And I think it's because I went into the season, not anticipating it being a favorite, but it is, it's, it's, oh, it's so good. It, I mean, it's not on Crunchyroll, so it's harder to remember, too. Let's, let's be honest here. This is a part of it. Sure, but my number one of, like, the last season was also on High Dive with Sunray. <laughs> so that's, that's true. Yeah, no. That's true. Build the audience. Oh, yeah. No, I, I pay my High Dive subscription. You better believe it. I'm not, I'm not letting that go. Uh, well, Kate, uh, we, we mentioned at the top. 
uh, but you are the editor-in-chief of butwhytheout.net. Is there anywhere else that people can find you? Anything you want to plug while we have you? Uh, You can just find me over on Twitter at omamithrandier. It's where I spend my most time and talk the most. So that is, yeah, uh, that's there. You can check out um, our podcast, But Why Though, on all of your RSS feeds. We cover, uh, it's bi-weekly, and we cover a different topic each week. This last week, I was on there talking about whether or not reviews are worth it um, and whether people read them. So it's a pretty good good listen. So, uh, yeah. We will have those in the show notes as well when this episode goes live. So, uh, awesome. Uh, great resources. And please support the, uh, the site. Uh, also, uh, just a little bit more admin since I didn't get it at the top. We do want to hear from you, the audience, uh, of course. Uh, we have an email address. That's rookiepirateradio at gmail.com. You can always send us notes, feedback. If you tried any of the uh, suggestions that were brought up, uh, this uh, this episode, or the ones that weren't suggestions but sound good anyway, uh, we'd love to hear your feedback on that. And uh, if you really want to talk with us, the best way to do that is to uh, join us on Discord. We have a Discord server. You'll find that in the show notes as well. Um, we're in there every single day talking about different things, and it's not just an anime-focused Discord. Uh, it's the Discord for the entire In-Between Drafts team. Um, so you'll find everything from film reviews to TV reviews, uh, discussions of books, music, and more. Uh, there's always uh, something going on in there and more exciting things being planned for the future so please join us there and uh, let's let's talk a little bit about these these series because i will be trying out a few of them myself thank you for joining us kate this has been an absolute pleasure Uh, i very much appreciate you spending your time with us Uh, and for the listeners we will see you again soon 